This is Five Point Play Podcast, the Duke Basketball Podcast by diehard Duke basketball fans for diehard Duke basketball fans. I gotta tell you, I should have come up with a, a catchier open opening intro. <laughs> or easier to say, right? <laughs> right. I, you know, it's, it's like, how do I want to challenge myself? Uh, yeah. oh, I, I found a way to do it, but I will say we are starting to hit our stride uh, a little bit here as um, as is Duke. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're twenty five percent of the way through the season. Uh, we played ten games. Obviously, we're hoping to play about forty, um, and and that's where we're going to kick things off uh, this week. We got a pack show uh, this week, and we have our first ever guest coming on uh, in our third pillar uh, of the five point play podcast, but. Let's start it off with through 10 games this year. Tell me about how we're stacking up against your opening expectations coming into the year. Are they meeting them? Are they exceeding them? You know, give, give us a little bit of an insight into to what, you're, what you're seeing. I mean, I, I really like what I'm seeing. I, we, I think even in our first podcast, I think we kind of talked about the expectation thing a little bit and how it's a little hard to do, especially with teams like this, where every year it's total turnover. So, yeah, you can say – well, we've done the one and done thing and only one time we've gotten to the national championship and all the other times it hasn't been quite as successful and everything else, but every team is different. Every year they're different. Every team offers something new. I'm I'm totally just, we mentioned it before, I'm really refreshed by this team. This is one of those teams you can just sit back and enjoy and watch and they're just so much fun to watch, especially because they get after it on defense, I think. I think the defense has been the biggest surprise for me out of this team. I, I wasn't expecting a freshman team to be able to play turnover type defense the way they're playing. It is leading to still kind of some old, and this has kind of always been Kay's MO. It's it's led to guys being able to attack the rim a little easier on the other team, the opposing team. And if you don't have a shot blocker in the game, they get some easy layups at times and things like that. But in general, the pressure that this team puts on other teams wears them down. So you could see it during Gonzaga. Um, even though they won that game, at the end of the game, Gonzaga was spent. And and Duke still looked like they had a little bit of energy left. If that game went into overtime, I think I would have easily taken Duke in that one because they they had the energy and the momentum, whereas Gonzaga did not. So that that's the kind of team that this team is. Is even though you play a tough team and a talented team, at the end of the game they're able to wear some guys down with the pressure that they put on teams and how far out they make teams set their offense up and everything else like that. The shots are difficult that most teams get. They make some tough shots. Gonzaga made some difficult shots. Auburn made some difficult shots. So you, you see a team that does that, they're chances of them winning that game go up because the shots they're making, just that shot difficulty is is crazy. It's off the wall. But this team is forcing some tough shots and t- forcing some turnovers. I like it. Yeah, you know, if you would have told me coming into the year that Duke would be leading the nation in both steals and blocks, mm-hmm. I would have told you that you were crazy. You know, I figured that this team obviously had the ability to play very solid defense and, you know, the, the athletes to be able to switch, uh, especially out on the perimeter, especially two through four, but being this good this early is, is pretty remarkable. And mm-hmm. they played, at times, suffocating defense. So I think the biggest surprise, uh, pleasant surprise, would be uh, our defense. Obviously, you know, coming into the year, you know, our expectations were very high. You know, you're coming off oh, a yeah. year where you had just these high expectations and you come a roll short of, of reaching the Final Four. I think this would be... Uh, you know, barring injury, obviously, this would be just as, if not more, disappointing based on the fact that this is a very, very likable team. You know, unless you're a, a complete dude cater, uh, this team is actually bringing in casual basketball fans that 
uh, don't really have an affinity for any college basketball. So uh, obviously a lot of that has to do with Zion Williamson and ESPN, uh, you know, constantly gushing over him and his 2.1 million followers on Instagram. <laughs> but uh, but it is a fun team to watch. Uh, you know, we have 185 assists through through 10 games. You know, 18 and a half assists a game is very strong. You know, for for this team or, or really any team. And, and I I'm, I'm uh, encouraged by the, the camaraderie we have. The other few things that we always think about coming into the season are how many guys is Kane really going to play? You know, we know he shrinks his bench. Well, a lot of that has to come, you know, down. It comes down to trust. And you know, this year, Kay, uh admitted prior to the season that he needed to get uh, more people, uh, more players, minutes earlier in the season to, to get them ready for and buying in and understanding what their their roles are going to be. You know, so far this season, Kay has played the eight players that we thought he would play. Those are the the eight core guys. We we knew who they were going to be, and he's held true to that. But then you also have a surprise on Jordan Goldwire, who, mm-hmm. who averages 10 minutes a game and has played every game thus far. Obviously, some of those minutes are going to vary, but it's been it's been up to my expectations. I, I had high expectations coming in. Obviously, losing in Maui, it hurts, but I love the way we, we fought to come back in that game. We could have easily gotten blown out of the water. And, uh, you know, so far, you know, I, I'm, I'm very encouraged. Uh, this team seems to be a team that, really enjoys one another's company, both on and off the court. And uh, that's not always the case. Give another nope. shout out to, uh, to Debbie Jones for that one. Absolutely, uh, man. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but on a more serious note, uh, you know, I have a couple of notes down on who I think is the biggest surprise or the, or the, the guy that I think is the, the guy that encompasses what Duke's all about. And for yeah. me, it's Jack, it's Jack White. Who on, oh, your end, who on your end have you seen who surprised you the most? Or, or said, you know, wow, I didn't expect that. Man, I feel like you took Jack. Jack is just, I mean, everything he's doing is is amazing. Javin has, he's starting to to show what he can be. And if you can have, if you can have a Javin and a Jack, you pretty much have a national championship team on top of all the talent that you have because those two are those guys that do those intangible things, and they're not your typical intangible guys because they're both incredible athletes too. Jack's strength is yeah. off the charts. And and he still has some verticality to his game. Javin is just just as much as Zion is a jumping jack. Javin, I think, is is overlooked a little bit too with how how quick he is down the floor, how how high he jumps, how quickly he jumps, the rebounds that he gets out of area, the shots that he affects. He's starting to come into his own now. Before the, before the season started or at the beginning of the season, it looked like the game was moving too fast for him. Still, it almost looked like freshman and sophomore Javin, but now now junior Javin is showing through. He's really he's he's earned starting spots. He he's done enough to push Queese all the way to the to the garbage minutes with Rankovic on the floor together playing together. So and hopefully that's not going to be the case moving forward because Queese is going to be important, especially the way he protects the rim and he's shown he can protect the rim, and especially the foul trouble we get into. But but Javin really has has shown me a lot. He's stepped up a lot and and has improved. I would almost I don't want to say dramatically because I don't want to get I don't want to get too much into hot take city with dramatic improvement, but he really has gotten a lot better from the start of the season to now. Yeah, he has. Uh, we got to worry about uh, with him constantly in, in foul trouble. Tends to make and 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 Kane is called about for this after uh, after a couple games, not so subtly. You got to be smarter. You know, you're a junior yep. now. You got to be smarter with the you know some of the cheap fouls uh, that are just you know. You, you, you see it right after he makes it. Ah, oh, what am I doing? Yeah. Uh, you see that still, but 
Uh, overall, his play has been good. It, it, he, he's, he's come back from that, that minor injury before the season started. Right. Uh, looks like the jab that we had in, in the Canada tour. And real quick about, you know, Marquise, you know, even when he had the, the, the great game uh, in Mali, uh, you still got to realize that Marquise is Marquise. He's right. going to have those games where he wows the hell out of you and he, and he has, you know, four or five, six blocks and, and ten, ten points and mm-hmm. seven or eight boards. But then he's going to have games where, you know, he, he's 0 for 4, has four rebounds and might only play, you know, 11 or 12 minutes. Right. And he's inconsistent, but him and Javin together are, are going to provide that presence on the floor down low and allow the other three lanes to kind of, you know, interchangeable out on the perimeter and, and get, and you know, just allow them to play more free and get out in right. transition. So and not the beauty of that yeah. is it's almost like you have one player who has 10 fouls when you have those two, yeah. Marquise and, and Javin, because when one comes out, the other comes in, and he offers something different that the other guy couldn't offer. So yeah. whereas Javin, you know, he, he's he's the athlete and, and rebounds out of his area a little bit and can run the floor better than Quise can, Quise still protects the rim so much better. And he even offers a little bit more, outside of runouts and things, he offers a little bit more in terms of you can throw him the ball in the post and he can go get a move. And if he's going to miss it, Zion's going to be on the other side catching the offensive rebound from the other other side of the rim. So. Marquise actually gives you a little bit more offense on a team that doesn't need more offense, so it's great to have. Because you have six players on the wing, essentially, if you count Jack as guys who who can be threats on offense. And adding those two is just, that's just bonus. That's bonus points there. Yeah, and, and they're, they're interchangeable uh, defensively almost. And then on mm-hmm. offense, you kind of run with the, the hot hand. And, and Kay has done a good job of playing the matchups. Obviously, when you're playing mm-hmm. the Stensies and the Yales, uh, those aren't going to be games that Kweezy's going to get big minutes. They, they just don't match right. up well, you know, for for a bigger dude. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the kind of to polish off this uh, first opening segment here, you know, you just can't say enough about Jack White. Uh, he's okay. averaging 25 minutes a game. Uh, he's playing extremely well. I, I rewatched the the Kentucky game again, you know, earlier this week. And I love watching that game. It's, it's great. One of the things that stands out to me is how high he goes up. His arms are completely extended. And he gets the ball at his peak height of his jump. Mm-hmm. And he's no, he's no slouch athlete, as you saw uh, at the end of the first half against EO when he put that one back. So uh, Jack has been fantastic. I figured that he would be uh, an integral part. I didn't think he would be this good. Uh, hopefully he keeps it up. I don't see any reason why he can't. A lot of the things that he does are, are effort-based, and uh, he's he's been smart. And uh, hopefully he continues to, to play well. On on the negative side, what are some things to get into our second pillar for the Five Point Play podcast? What are some of the things that we need to improve? I know that this has been a hot topic for has, uh, for the for the board. So <laughs> you've had yeah. I've seen a lot of your posts. Uh, so <laughs> kind of I think we differ on, on a little bit here. So why don't you take the reins? Where is the biggest yeah. need for improvement for this team? It's it's all over the place because with a team like this, you don't want to you don't want to become complacent because they play defense so well. They the offense is spectacular, but you look at the percentages and you look at some of the other factors. And yeah, there are there are some things that could cost you a game or two, and you don't want it to happen in March. You don't you don't want those things to happen to you in March. And two things that that I noticed that I would love to see first and foremost the 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 drive the drive defense improve a little better. I, I've touched on it a little bit in the first segment. This team the, the steals hide something that this team gives up a lot, which is they give they still give up a lot of drives. Yeah. They the the help defense 
tends to either overhelp high on the perimeter or they don't help at all underneath. And and I think that's a combination of two things. Early in the season, they gave up a lot of threes to certain teams. And it looked like they gave up those threes because they were overhelping. Now they've cut the help back, but it's almost like they don't know when to help at this point. It's like, okay, should I help, should I not? So it's still leading to a lot of a lot of drives. Kentucky couldn't take advantage of it because the, the team was just totally locked in. Plus, you don't get a lot of driving angles when you have retrives and P.J. Washington in the game because they're kind of clogging the lane up a little bit. But the teams that spread us out, Army, uh, Yale in the first half, Hartford in the first half, really, uh, Auburn second half, Gonzaga the entire game almost. Those teams did a great job of spacing us out, attacking the basket either with the pass or with the dribble. And then once the basket was was being attacked, they were still they were able to transition a little bit and and kick out from those attacks and get a lot of open threes. And that's something that the better teams are going to be able to take advantage of with this Duke team. Kansas, Gerald Vick has been hitting some crazy threes this year. That's something if Duke runs into Kansas, they're going to have to look out for. You have some really good three-point shooting teams in the ACC. You have some really good three-point shooting teams all over the country. You don't need to list them all, but it's just Duke is going to run into one of those teams sooner or later. Certain teams don't have good matchups against Duke because they don't do certain things well on offense, but certain teams do. So that's the first thing I would love to see improve. And then the second thing I'd love to see improve is just hit hit the open standstill threes. Kay made a big point about standstill threes, and then Jay Billis has apparently watched Earn Everything every day for the past three months. So all he can talk about in, in games when he when he commentates games for Duke is standstill threes. He he loves that that phrase that Kay used. So the the standstill threes this team hasn't perfected yet, and. And a big part of that is, I mean, Javin, not Javin, sorry, but Jack White and, and Cam, those are the two guys I think that were really expected to do that, especially coming off the summer that both of them had, especially Jack really more so than Cam because Cam was injured a lot, but Jack had a huge summer shooting the ball. He was expect, He's definitely been expected to hit more shots than he's hit so far. He hit a few early on. He still hit some in games, but a lot of times those games are already decided. I'd love to see him hit them under pressure a little more. And then Alex O'Connell, I'd love to see him earn a little more time on the defense and defensive end so that he can come in because he has been one that really has been hitting the threes at a high clip. Uh, he and R.J. Barrett, actually, uh, surprisingly, R.J. Barrett's been shooting the three ball pretty well lately. Um, those, those two have been hitting those standstill threes really well, and I, I would like to see that continue. Alex had a good defensive game against Yale, so maybe that'll be something that we can see moving forward, a little more time for him because those threes are going to be important. We didn't hit a lot of them early against Gonzaga, and we got behind big. So I'd like to see more of that. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I, I was going to ask you uh, while you were talking about, you know, a little bit about that defense. Do you do you think that uh, because Duke is trying to get out in transition so much during the game that that you know you see a lot of guys, you see Zion do this all the time, where mm-hmm. he's you know, kind of leaping toward the top of the key defensively, right. trying to get out in transition. So that a lot of times that's going to put some strain on your backside defense, where you're trying to. You know, like you said, they're getting to the rim a lot easier than than we had hoped, especially with the way right. Trey plays uh, on the ball defense. Um, you know, the Yale game, especially, you're looking at a team where it was frustrating to watch because you're playing great defense for 26, 27, 28 seconds in the shot clock, and then they get something easy at the rim. You and know, how many times have we said that with a Duke team? Right. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Again. Right. It's just like, God, you got to finish it off. And a more mature but, team probably does, but, but you got to get people in position mm-hmm. to, to be able to do that. And then secondly, as you were saying, Duke gives up a lot of ball side open threes. So mm-hmm. on their drives, uh, as your boy Jay Billis likes to say, the easiest shot is the ball side open corner three. And we right. give up a lot of those. 
And so those are two those are two frustrating areas because they, they they should never happen. Right. Not, and not that's the like, overhelp. Yeah. That's that overhelp from that that strong side. You shouldn't be helping on the strong side like that. Maybe you can hedge on a step through on a drive quickly, but get back to your man. But guys are being pulled all the way down into the lane and those threes are wide open. And it's it's kind of a uh, it's a tough toss up for for Kay to get that point across without taking away the aggressiveness of mm-hmm. what makes this team really good, which is when they get out in transition. So right. on the flip side of that, how do you see our half court offense? You know, what we know that we're phenomenal in transition. We we've you know had a, a struggle uh, admittedly at the three point line, although we are shooting thirty three percent, which you know was about right. You know, coming into the season, I figured that would be about right. But we'd, we'd like to see uh, a little bit more consistency. Obviously, Cam is going to have games where he goes, you know, 6 of 10, and then he's going to have games, unfortunately, where he goes 2 of 8 or 1 of 9, right. like he did a couple games ago. So, you know, what do you see in the half-court offense that we can improve, especially against teams like, you know, Virginia, they're going to pack it in? At, at the three-point shooting percentage is going to be big, and the free-throw shooting is going to be big because – this this team is is really efficient on two point shots. They're tenth in the nation in two point on two point shots, which is which is awesome. And some people can point to the transition offense and everything else, but it, all those points aren't coming off the transition, and all those all that percentage is not coming off the transition. They're still getting high percentage shots in the half court offense, which is great to see. And then you have two guys like Zion and, and RJ, and even Cam to a degree that can can really draw fouls with the way they attack the rim. Couple that with a team that's fit the nation in offensive rebounding, and you have you you have one of the most efficient offenses in the nation. The problem comes, you can't take advantage of that when you can't hit free throws at a high clip. And this team is shooting 65% from the free throw line on a team that really should be shooting better. And then they're 215th in the nation on three-point shots at 33%. So that's that's the, the the shooting in that regard. The the three point shooting and the the free throw shooting are huge because those are two things that allow you to get to the rim, kind of unimpeded, unmolested in a way because you can't double, can't pack the lane in, you can't do a lot of those things that a lot of these teams are going to want to do because everything is just clicking, everything is working. And yeah, there's gonna be some games where just like Kentucky, everything is just working. But there's gonna be games where nothing is working, kind of like the uh, the the Shire led Duke team that beat Butler. That was a horrible offensive performance but the defense luckily came to play so you're, you're gonna have some games with this team like that not 60 point games like that but you're gonna have some games where this team is, is scoring in the, in the low 70s because they're not hitting their shots it, can you stop the other team from scoring and can you make the shots you're getting efficient shots that's going to be what you've, i would like to see out of the court offense yeah you've already seen teams uh kind of lay the blueprint of how they're going to try to contain duke it is mm-hmm. run the shot clock down Pack it in defensively mm-hmm. and try to make it as much as they can a half court game. Obviously, teams like Yale, uh, Hartford aren't going to have the caliber of basketball players that uh, Virginia or Syracuse will. So it's going to be interesting to see how Duke handles that. The lucky thing for them is that they've right. seen it. Um, it's just how do we continue to improve? I have liked having uh, Zion on the foul line when teams do go zone. Uh, he does a great job. He's very shifty for even how big he is and getting himself uh, to the rim. Um, obviously, we talked a, a lot about you know free-throw shooting. That is the elephant in the room when we're talking about Duke. You just can't have two guys like Zion and RJ shoot that poorly from the line. Now, RJ is you know, a guy that I, I feel will, his, his free-throw percentage, I, I have, I'm confident that it will continue to rise. 
Uh, he will mm-hmm. not this year. I don't think he will ever be a eighty percent free throw shooter, but he should be seventy one, seventy two percent, and that should be good enough for for what we need from him. Zion, I'm a little bit more uh, skeptical of. He's we've talked about this before that his shot is very flat. It's line drive shooting. Yeah. Uh, when you went I went back specifically to the Kentucky game because I wanted to see what his shot looked like there. You know, his first shot that he t- that he took was uh, that beautiful three, had beautiful arc on it, beautiful backspin, and it was nothing but net. He had a nice, mm-hmm. you know, couple dribble pop shot from the top of the key that had, again, beautiful arc. But the shots that he missed are ones that are line drives that he pushes. It's almost like off yep. the heel of his, of his palm. Those are shots that, you know, he's got a bit more confident at the line. Just trust the fact that you you can, you know, put a soft shot up there and give yourself a little bit more room for error. When you're shooting those long drives, it's either in or or you got nothing. At least with a little right. arc, with a little backspin, you have a little bit more room for error. Maybe in camera and you'll get those soft uh, soft bounces. But that, that, to me, is the biggest concern. It's, you know, kind of those two at the line and Duke as a whole at the line. It's kind of nitpicking on, on a team that, uh, has been this dynamite so far, but you know, kind of looking and at that. Not, and, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not. I don't know that I'm ready to call it a concern yet. Only, only because of this. Only because <laughs> it's only because it's December, early December at that, and only because that is a it's a focus thing, and you can tell it's a focus thing because you see, I, I brought this up a few times. You can you see the Gonzaga game where Duke shot 78 percent from the line, and and shot a lot of shots from the line. 20, 20 for 26. Yep. You see the second half of the Hartford game, I believe, and I think they only missed two free throws out of 14. I think they were 12 for 14 from the line. You, you see it, and you can see it. And like you said, I don't, I don't think RJ's overall percentage will ever get – I don't think it will ever come to 80%. I don't even know if it will go above 70% for the overall season because now for 10 games he's been so, so low. I mean, I say so low, but it, it's not like ridiculously low like Bagley was last year, but low. For him, especially in somebody else's yeah, life, sixty-three percent, sixty-three percent. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, and and I, I think the second half of the season, though, I, I I think you will see his, I think you'll see his second half free throw percentage be high, and I, I think it will be near eighty percent for that second half, but his overall won't look, it, it won't reflect that. So is it more of a focus thing for him? Oh, I, absolutely, I think so. His his form is good. You look at him; his form is good. His his feet are good. His setup is nice. He he's gotten to the line forever throughout his entire career playing basketball, throughout the feeble worlds, his free throw percentage was above 76%, I believe. We go back and look at it. He He's shown in the past that he he can be a good free throw shooter, and he's been to the line a lot. On top of that, you're going to have practice time and individual practice time for him to be able to work on that, and I think it's something that he will work on. We saw Bagley last year, his a, a market improvement from the free throw line for him. His, the Kansas game, I think he only missed like three free throws the entire game. It's it's one of those things where when when guys really put focus into it, they, they shoot it. Jason Williams. How, how can a guy who hits the types of threes that he hit off the dribble, two and three guys on him, you know, the, I think he's hit the most difficult threes I've ever seen at Duke other than J.J. Redick. And yeah. then he goes to the line and shoots 65% from the line. It's it's amazing. And, and you see him and it, it's focused because then you hear stories about how he goes into practices and, and can't miss at the free throw line. And he shoots free throws at the end of games and down the stretch for certain points of a season and can't miss. But then, you know, meaningless, almost quote unquote meaningless free throws, he just clanks them. So it's just it's focused. A lot of it's focused with the free throws. Yeah, I I do expect RJ to um, have a solid improvement. He, he's got great form. He's got good touch. 
he's been fantastic from those standstill threes, you know, pretty much all year. You know, he's shooting mm-hmm. uh, over 37% from three, and I'm pretty yep. sure at the beginning of the year we would have taken that. I am a little bit more concerned with Zion, but uh, to be fair, you know, it's, it's mostly because we knew that those two would live at the line. They have about 12 free throw attempts a game between the two of them. I wouldn't be surprised if that even continues to rise. Uh, yep. Because, you know, a lot of those games, you know, they were on the bench by the time the game was already decided. So yeah. don't don't be surprised if they, if they start getting a, a few more attempts per game. But, um, you know, we'll see we'll see if it's a concern. We're, we're a quarter of the way through the season. And uh, what better time than to bring on our first guest? Are you ready for that? Our first guest on the Five Absolutely, Point Point Podcast. We've never had uh, one before. It's exciting. <laughs> We haven't had one, and uh, you might know him on the, uh, the Devil's Illustrated boards as the moderator, the moderator. I know you pretend to be. I know I pretend to be, but this is the moderator. <laughs> yep, uh, the OG. Dookie J, yeah, Dookie J uh, are you there? Well, first off, thanks, guys, uh, for having me. Uh, what you know, I think when I was uh, coming into the office, it was about 24 degrees, a little snow on the ground. We might not have as oh, much yeah. snow, actually, is what, what you guys do uh, down there right now, but uh, – yeah, it's, it's actually, this is kind of balmy for this time of year. We're supposed to be in the mid to upper 30s by the weekend, so that's that's pretty huge for us. <laughs> well, yeah. Shorts weather, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised. You'll see some people in them, but. So we, we have a few things we wanted to run run by you while, while we have you as the uh, the inaugural guest on the, on the podcast, but really it's, it's selfish on our end. We know that you're up there in Final Four country for, for, this, for this year. Are you going to put us up uh, as, as co-moderators? When, uh, when we get you to know, I was, when, when we'll see how this interview goes, because I, I was thinking that at the end, <laughs> if, if everything goes well, I'll say you guys got a free place to stay because oh, uh, man, I will definitely, I'll definitely be at the final four and, and let's hope that uh, there's a whole bunch of Duke people up here in Minneapolis yeah. in April. Yeah, the and I, yeah. I have no problem selling AC out uh, if you only have <laughs> one more available. <laughs> yeah, we'll make, we'll make room. You guys might have to bunk up together. There you yeah, I call the talk bunk. Yeah, I'll make sure. I won't even. I'm not even clearing this with my wife, so I might get in a nice. little trouble. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I've well, got to ask too. Yeah. I've got to ask because this is we we can even swear on this, right? This isn't even censored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I work I work in radio, so I worry about the FCC all the time. So I'm gonna, you know, I'll maybe have to just like kind of like Kramer in that one Seinfeld episode where he goes to the dentist so he can swear. I might have to. <laughs> yeah, you can let the expert fly. Yeah, let the expert fly. Yeah. Speaking of expletives, um, there were quite a bit of uh, hysteria uh, going on this week for for Duke, and uh, you know, it was it's just typical. It's typical uh, clickbait as. Uh, one of the uh, voters for the AP decided that he was not going to put in uh, any team that did not have a road game. Uh, we know how daunting those can be, but it's always a point of contention for for Duke. And we wanted to get your thoughts on the actual article itself. I certainly was going to give him uh, the time of day to click on that. But <laughs> what are your what are your feelings on the hysteria around Duke not scheduling out of conference road games? Well, it, it just it, it one it it seems like Duke is always kind of the elephant in the room that takes heat for this. When in reality, um, you know there are a lot of college basketball teams that kind of adopt this philosophy. And I mean, I, I get I, I get what he's saying partly because you want to try and be you know partial to every view, but at the same time, you know I I just 
you know, I, sure, I, I, I'll pat, you know, Roy and, and the boys down the road on the back for going to Elon and Wofford and putting their kids through such a, you know, a treacherous ordeal. But, you know, I mean, the thing is, you know, I, I kind of summed it up. I think I posted something the other day. I mean, how many teams are, are playing, you know, Kentucky, Auburn, Gonzaga, uh, Texas Tech in the span of 45 days on neutral sites? And, you know, I, I get what he's trying to say, but this whole theory, you know, then that you've got some other fans that come back with backlash that somehow Coach K is afraid you know, to, right. to travel. I mean, that doesn't even make a little bit of sense, yeah. uh, you know, when you consider <laughs> what they're trying to say. So it, it's just one of those things that, you know, he got some clickbait on it. I, I've read some of the follow-up articles, you know, and, and what's great is is you've got guys like Gary Parrish and some of these are kind of, they're not going to bat with him. They're saying that it's really, really stupid on his theory, but, you know, that he is a really, really good reporter. And I'm not going to judge him and say he's a horrible reporter for taking this, for, for taking this take, but, no, I, I just I disagree with it. I mean, what are you trying to do? You know, what was right. what did I say? Was it five of the top eleven teams in the country right now in the AP poll that he doesn't have ranked because they haven't played a true road game? I mean, come on, give me a break. And was Kennesaw State, you know, whoever it is, that's three and seven. Come on, give me right, a break. right. I mean, it's it, so, we had a segment early in the uh, podcast called Hot Take City. I mean, this I think this fits the the Hot Take City mold. Oh, certainly. I mean, it, it definitely does. And, and, you know, it, it's just one of those things and it, you know, it's fun for, you know, I guess it's fun for North Carolina fans or, or people who just don't like Duke that this is another thing that they can say, but they're starting to run out of stuff. So some of the stuff is, is getting knee high, <laughs> you know, in <laughs> some of the, the, the sludge that they're throwing around because I mean, give the, give, give Kay a little bit of credit. I don't think that he's scared. Uh, to go on the road and play Elon or Wofford. It's nah. that just doesn't do any that doesn't do anything for his team. I don't care what any North Carolina fan tells you. It doesn't do anything for North Carolina going to Elon or Wofford. Those are games that they should win 99 out of 100 times and unfortunately mm-hmm. for Carolina they lost one of them last year it was on their home court. So mm-hmm. that's just basketball, that's the way it is. Duke fans know all about hard loss. We've seen a few of them over the course of the last 8 to 10 years. And I don't and- think it's because we weren't playing true road games. Right, so you don't you don't think that we lost uh, on a last second uh, roll around the rim four times uh, because we didn't play at Furman last year? Yeah, that, that's what <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That I, that's very well put, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, you know it's funny because uh, you see a lot of uh, you see a lot of trash uh, by the keyboard warriors uh, in college basketball uh, message boards. We have uh, quite a few of our favorites over there in Tar Heel country. But uh, like you said, the, the insinuation that Coach K is somehow afraid uh, after 45 years of coaching to, to go on the road uh, is got to be one of the most asinine things that I've, I've seen in a long time. And, and how about the theory that he's racked up 1,200 career wins by playing cupcakes? I mean, yeah, yeah. guys won five national championships, been to 12 Final Fours, and yeah, that's exactly what he's done. So it, it's just there's no basis you know, to that point of the argument, all I'll say about the guy that wrote the article or, you know, casted the votes, it's what he did. It, it really, it truly has no effect on anything, but I just think that it's kind of amateurish journalism, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, on, on the flip side of that, would you like to see Duke play more out-of-conference programs? I know as a fan, um, sure, I'd like to go see them play at Kansas, at Allen Fieldhouse. I think that would be a lot of fun. As a fan... Would you like to see that? Well, I think as a fan, you do. But I, I think that there's, 
you know, there, there's certain reasons that Coach K does it. He's really never came out and specifically stated those reasons. I think a lot of them, you know, we, we kind of perceive to know the reason. I mean, you're not playing the NCAA tournament, you know, in, in someone else's gym. It, it's always neutral sites. Uh, for Duke, whether people like it or not, uh, you know, they're they're the either the most hated or most loved team uh, in the country. It just depends on what perspective you take. And, uh, you know, as far as money for them, uh, it just makes more sense doing the, the neutral site stuff. But, you know, sure, I mean, who, who wouldn't love to watch Duke play at Kansas? Who wouldn't love to watch Kansas play at Duke? I mean, those are, you know, those are realities. Those are something that, you know, people always look back and they say, well, boy, 20 years ago, you saw teams doing this more. Yeah, you did, but they didn't have the kind of arenas that they have now either. You know, that you can pile in 40,000 on a Saturday afternoon in December or 35,000 and, uh, you know, watch a, a Duke play Kentucky in Indianapolis or what, you know what I'm saying? I just think that it's, I, I think that, Things have changed, and sometimes people just don't like to adapt with change, and that's one of the things that I just think has changed in college basketball. And like I said at, at the top of this, you know, Duke is hardly one of the only teams that has kind of adopted this philosophy. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you touched on that, <laughs> the, the, especially the, the money grab aspect of this whole thing. It, what, what, sense, it, what sense do you get, especially hey, you work in the radio industry, so you, you know a lot about the market shares and things like that you know, Cameron, love Cameron to death, but at 9,314 seats. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're playing Kansas. What do you get more out of? Do you get more out of playing in a, in, a, in a larger market neutral site, or do you get more out of playing at Cameron Indoor Stadium? Do you get more out of those ratings on television, or do you get more out of the seats because you're still going to get ratings on television? And that's a great point, Adrian. Because, and Duke also caters, you know, caters to their fan base. They know where their hubs are, you know, and that's mm -hmm. why you see Duke, that's why you see Duke play two or three times a year in New York, some years mm -hmm. less, some years more. I know how that works, but, you know, or, or those big games, you know, we haven't done it now for a couple of years, but, you know, was, was it a couple of years ago we were in Chicago for Iowa state, you know, yep. and, and we've played before in Kansas city or St. Louis. And, you know, those are just things that, you know, that Duke does. And, and it's almost, it's trying to put yourself in a tournament venue too. Yeah. You know, I had, I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago up here in Minneapolis at us bank stadium, where the final four is going to be held uh, later on next year, next year in April um, mm -hmm. to, to go and just check out the site because they, they kind of did, I guess, like a mock trial run, you know, just to, to get everything put sure. in place. And, and the Gophers were playing there that night. So, you know, got tickets with my family and we went and watched. And I just think that, putting yourself in those situations uh you know in, in front of big crowds you know those arenas are different i mean it was it was weird i've been to a number of vikings games you know at u.s bank stadium and you don't appreciate how big it is until you mm -hmm. put a little basketball court kind of out in the middle right 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 and and, and you've got these big backgrounds that you're shooting in you know and, yeah. and we talked about if you remember going back to the 2015 final four that was one of the things that duke was really worried about when they were in houston and mm -hmm. they really struggled with that in that game against Utah. And luckily, Matt Jones came alive, uh, you know, in, in, in that in the game against Gonzaga. We might not even be talking about that that championship team. But so I just think that you know, money money plays a big factor. But I think it's also putting your kids in those types of environments, in those types of tournament environments, that helps prepare them just as much as going and playing on the road against, you know, whoever it is, you know, Georgia Absolutely. State or or whatever small school. Yeah, there's no question. That brings up a great point. I actually caught a little bit of that game. Um, whatever you can do, and, and the Kings always wanted to do this, whatever you can do to put your kids in the best possible uh, situation for gaining as much experience as you can throughout the season to get yourself prepared is what he's going to do. 
Uh, and I don't think that going at Elon is going to do that. But switching, switching gears real quick, we did have a, a nice surprise last week, or maybe it wouldn't be considered a surprise, but uh, if you asked uh, Duke fans about a month and a half to two months ago, it may have been uh, when people were starting to freak out. But on the recruiting trail, we picked up Vernon Carey. Um, we talked a little bit about that on the last podcast that we had. Where do you see Duke recruiting right now after last week, before last week? Do you think the the whole thing with Jeff Cable leaving was a little bit overblown, uh, or do you feel like it was it was something that was 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 real? Uh, I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, to be honest, um, you know, you, you kind of alluded to it, but boy, 60 days ago, a lot of people, you know, were really, really freaking out. And I'm not going to say that I wasn't one of them that was kind of sitting back here. You know, I mean, you can do the math and you can look at everything. And, you know, we all know that that Cam, RJ, and Zion are, are gone after this year. I, I think a lot of people are starting to assume that may be the case with Trey, too. Well, you just start going up and down the list two months ago when Wendell Moore is the only kid that's committed and you're starting to think, oh boy, you know, what, what's this, what's this looking at now? You've got some of the guys, you know, like Jack White's and Javin and, and Marquise who've just taken huge steps. You're hoping that I'm still hoping that Alex can, can take that step because I do think we're going to need him in a, in a few big spots this year. But you know, that, that's kind of that philosophy of recruiting change that we saw two years ago when coach K brought in like a seven, person class but you know back to your point yeah I mean I mean I think that there I, I think that there were worries I think that there was a little bit of panic but guys recruiting so much different now than what it was even five years ago I mean if, if you remember when when Jaleel and, and and Tyus made their announcement that was in the beginning of November that was kind of considered late five years ago you know what I mean and now you oh, yeah. now you've got so many now you've got so many kids that are saying well I'm going to wait until after the season and wait until the early signing and you even got some kids who aren't even signing in the late signing period you know in, yeah. in April so I just I just think that it's you know it, it's just that recruiting's changed I think that maybe Duke had to probably clear some things up on their end you know there was no capable there I know he was originally uh, one of the lead guys with 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 some of these guys who've either decided to go elsewhere or who've eliminated us. So I'm sure that there were questions for concerns, but you know, there, there's still a guy named Shashevsky who's who was a pretty good recruiter before Jeff Capel came along, and he, he's going to be a pretty good recruiter as hopefully as long as uh, hopefully for a long time, yeah. uh, as long as he's on the sidelines. Yeah, it's it was that rhetoric has been pretty funny to 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 read and listen to that that Capel was this, this magical guy with, with, you know, the magical pen that could get anybody to sign. And, 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 you know, even on the other side of the coin, like, you know, okay, Jeff Capel was really, really good for Duke. Mm -hmm. Duke was pretty damn good for him too. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's a, you're, you're pretty fortunate when you get that brand and you have that brand to sell. And I, I just think that, you know, I, I, I love Jeff. I hope he's successful at, at Pitt. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. I still would, think that there's a chance he, he's the next guy that we see uh, potentially on the sidelines, yeah. but give Coach Case some credit. The guy has been doing it for right. a long time, and he's been doing it really, really well. Yeah, and for me, my, my tip was always that you were going to feel his, his loss, his absence in this recruiting cycle. You know, because he had built up those relationships that you were talking about, some of which obviously didn't work out in our favor. But if you know, the 2020, 21, 22, those sort of classes started uh, whiffing uh, for us, then then I would be concerned. But right now, 
that, that it was way too early to start uh, to freak out. Um, oh well, Cable must have just you know been this genius of, of you know being able to get these guys and he could really connect with them. And while that's all true, uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean that we didn't have uh, <laughs> something default for him to, to sell and the sell and, as AC. Yeah, exactly. And don't think for a second that Zion RJ. Trey and Cam haven't helped a little bit the last 45 days either. You know, I mean, this momentum and, you know, we saw Duke being so cool for so many years. And then, you know, I mean, you you guys are as big a Duke fans as I am. You know, the last two years have kind of been painstaking, you know, Mm -hmm. for so many different reasons, not just for basketball reasons. And that's what's been weird about it. And, And I think that sometimes you maybe lose a little bit of that momentum, but this freshman class that we have right now is, has seemed to recharge it a little bit. And if they can all do what we think they're capable of doing, um, you know, I, I don't want to say Jeff Capel is going to be a forgotten commodity, but I think it will make people move on from the Jeff Capel loss a lot easier. And it, it'll kind of be in the back of mind type of thing. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I think that's where I agree with you 100% on that. I think that's where you're going to see this team kind of fall in it. You already see RJ Hampton, uh, BJ Boston, and Jalen Johnson. Those are already guys that we're, we're uh, you know, almost 100% in on for the most part. And I don't see them going anywhere else other than Duke at this point. And it's – this class was devoid of wings and, and talented wings at that, and that's what this class kind of needed. And the big guys are the ones that you saw kind of, uh, no, here and there, no, here and there, and everything else. And then finally we get one. We get Vernon Carey. And that, that, was, that, that was so huge, I think. I think that put – kind of put a lot of things to bed because you hear a lot of things like, oh, well, Wendell Carter's mom is is causing trouble and Trayvon Duvall is really influencing these recruits to not come to Duke and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, could you please stop? All it takes is for one person to say something or tweet something, right? And yep. it just spreads That's like it. wildfire. You get a couple hundred thousand retweets or, or, or whatever. And, you know, people, people start talking and there's a certain stigma out there. I mean, I, I love Trey. I'm glad that he. I'm glad that he chose, um, you know, to, to come to Duke. Talking about Trayvon Duvall, um, mm-hmm. but you know, he, he's he's not in the NBA this year. Um, yeah. You know, a, a guy like you know, and then you know, the whole Wendell thing was was so weird to me because it's it's the opposite of everything that you've heard about that right. family leading up. Uh-huh. And then the first game of the year, who's sitting behind the Duke bench? Wendell Carter's parents. You know? right. So I don't. I, I think that probably that was blown a little bit more out of proportion too. And I think that Wendell Carter's mom probably said some things that if she could go back on now, she wouldn't say them the way she did because, you know, there's there's always certain ways that you can interpret stuff through a tweet or or through one snippet, you know, and, and where you're not getting the entire story. And I think that there was probably some of that. You know, I, I've heard too that things maybe weren't quite as bad as what was out there during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but once things kind of started spiraling, everything started spiraling. And, and then, you know, Gary Trent's dad, you know, saying what, you know, saying what he said, and I don't think he really meant anything bad by that. I honestly no. don't. I think that he, he was just saying that the situation that Gary was in and playing at Duke, he didn't have that opportunity to, you know, to be the go-to guy every night. But th- those are right. the kind of things that you know and the kind of things that you accept when you commit to a school like Duke. Mm-hmm. Right, and you can spend those things every single year however you exactly. like. Exactly. And, and that, that's, that's pretty much part for the course, and you know what you're getting when you're signing up for Duke. Um, but we'll, we'll get you out of here with this. On the flip side of that, uh, luckily up there in Minnesota, we have a lady by the name of Debbie Jones, 
who uh, we love more than any other person on this podcast. Uh, but Debbie, jo- Debbie Jones has been integral uh, in getting this class put together, and she was integral in uh, Tyus and Jaleel's uh, uh, recruitment and then putting, you know, bringing that team together, uh, all the parents bringing yep. them together. Uh, and she, th- she did the same with this one. So if we're going to follow it up, uh, hopefully she has a son every four years that just in case there are uh, some, some choppy waters, uh, we can, you know, trust her to steady the ship. You know, Duke fans have to be thankful to that family for a long time. And that, that's irregardless of what happens, um, you know, the, the rest of this season. But, you know, and, and the thing is, is, you know, being up here and, you know, and, and working in media and, and knowing some, some of the more influential people, there is not a nicer family uh, in the world either than that Jones family. And yeah. they're just, they're, they're so, they're so respected. I mean, you know, Tyus hasn't had, the greatest run with the Timberwolves, but he's just been a model model citizen throughout all the whole thing. And when a few weeks back, when the Jimmy Butler thing was going on, his name was mm-hmm. a lot of times rumored to be in that trade mix. And fans did not want to see Tyus go. I mean, and, and Tyus, there were some fans that thought Tyus spurned the Gophers. He was never going, you know, to play for the Gophers, but they just they, they love him that much because that's just the kind of kid he is, and you know that's a testament to his players. And, and Trey's pretty much the exact same way. We're we're, we're really really lucky as Duke fans uh, to have had the pleasure to watch Tyus, and now to have the pleasure to watch Trey. Absolutely. Yeah. Real quick, is there uh, is there any any recruits uh, in the in the wings up there in Minnesota? I know for a little while they had a little <laughs> bit of a recruiting renaissance happening. In, in that Twin Cities area with the Howard Pulley team, kind of like uh, Washington, you saw the, the Washington State produce a bunch of uh, recruits there for a little bit. But what about Minnesota? What do you got? Quite quite a while. You know, right now there's Matthew Hurt, the guy that, that uh-huh. is, is very much uh, in, in the mix with. And, you know, he, he's a he's a smooth player. And, you know, I floated it out there because there's, there's a certain rumor going around because his brother Michael is a junior on the Gophers team this year uh-huh. who is going to graduate is going to graduate after this year. And it's been floated about one of the original rumors that because Michael and Matthew would love to play together, Matthew still has the Gophers on his list. I don't know how serious that is. So there's a lot of rumors that Michael could be a potential grad transfer to wherever Matthew's going. Does that come to fruition? I don't know. Uh, Jalen Suggs uh, is is another kid. I don't Mm -hmm. know if he picked Mm -hmm. up an offer the other day from Gonzaga. This kid is – and he's got – and we're talking Florida State – Miami and yep. every major college football program after this kid too. He, he's a six-three mm-hmm. quarterback. He's a point guard. He's unbelievable. You'll hear his name a lot. He's going to be a really, really good one. Yeah, his his recruitment's been interesting because he is, if I'm not mistaken, he's like a top three quarterback too, is he not? And then he's also yeah. a top fifteen player. Yeah, and he really has not given away what he's going to for sure do I think a lot of people think eventually he's going to you know he'll gravitate towards the basketball side but mm-hmm. you know just watching uh you know in, in the state football playoffs up here and, and watching him out there because you're used to watching him as a guard you know and he's six two, six three, but then you watched him on the football field and he's just a physical specimen I mean mm-hmm. the guy he runs he runs like a gazelle watching him roll out as a quarterback and throw the ball it's just fun to watch uh he's a tremendous athlete uh, he's a special talent. He's a junior this year, so he's a 2020 kid. But uh, okay. it, it's going to be fun to watch and see where he ends up. Nice. Well, yeah, Duke, Duke needs a quarterback coming up too, so maybe we can get him playing <laughs> playing both ways there. But uh, no, hey, um, Jeremy, we really appreciate you uh, coming on, and, and obviously, yeah, I, I think we did on. well enough to 
get the invite for the for the bunk beds, did we not? Yeah, I think so, man. You, you did. You did. It, it's open. <laughs> yes. It's uh, I, I will uh, I will reserve the room uh, when I get home tonight with my wife, and and we'll take care of you guys when uh, Final Four gets here. We're just going to assume that. Let's not. Let's just plan on it right now. What's her yeah, uh, What's right. her favorite wine? I'll bring it with me. What's her favorite wine? <laughs> I'll I'll send I'll send you that. She likes expensive right, stuff. Good, <laughs> right, right. good uh, yeah, very we'll, a very we'll good wine. All right, man. Appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, yeah, man. Thank you. That was awesome. I I had no doubt that you were going to be a fantastic uh, first guest for this podcast. Yeah, I hope all uh, our interviews go that well. And, and I just hope that uh, he's a man of his word and puts us up in Minneapolis uh, when we go to the Final Four. <laughs> that's but, right. That's right. Uh, but we'll, we'll take that uh, to to offline. But um, you know, I, I guess we'll go right now to our to our fourth pillar, Cam Reddish. He's a guy that we talked about last week, yeah. and you know, he he had two games last week where we were hoping that those would be two games for him to to break out, and mm-hmm. he went one of fourteen from three. Uh, he did a few things nicely. Uh, he had a great uh, save and, and bounce pass to, to RJ for, for a slam. But really, uh, it wasn't the, the breakout that we were looking for. Did you see anything in his performance over those two games that you know may have hinted at him approaching the corner, turning the corner? Or do you come away from those two games thinking, man, I, I'm not really sure uh, if we're going to get the cam that we're hoping for? Ah. Man, Cam, Cam, Cam. Well, so we talked about him before the season. Cam, Cam's going to be one of those kids that you see every so often that is just, he's so talented that you, when you recruit, you have to kind of rely on him and, and foresee the future of him being like one of the guys on the team. Like we, we talk about him as a third scorer occasionally. He's not a third scorer. This, this team wants and needs him as one C to the one A and one B that is uh, RJ and Zion. But he he's gonna be one of those kids we talked about offline a little bit that he's gonna he's he has the talent and and ability to win you a few games and he's going to do that this season. Don't call me Mister Jonas. I'm gonna say number one of them is gonna be Florida State. Put it down right now on on, on the podcast that Florida State is wow, gonna be a, a win there, okay. because of camp. I'm just putting it out there. Just throwing it out there. But wow. those are the types wow. of games that that he's gonna step up in because he he offers the ability to shoot the three. So he's gonna spread the defense out. And and then you have a team that wants to pack the lane a little bit more, and and once they get spread, then he's going to be able to attack the, attack the basket a little bit more too, especially if RJ and Zion are in foul trouble or are just not efficient on offense that day. He's the one. He's one C. He's that other guy that's like, okay, well these two aren't on. Cam, it's your turn. And and never put a loss on a kid. You can't put losses on him in terms of saying he's not shooting well. So the, the loss is because of him. But when when you need him. Are, are we going to have him? And that, that's the big question. I mean, his, his best three-point shooting game was against Army at 7 for 13, but he attacked the basket really well against San Diego State and then even Yale. He he got some inside, nice inside looks from mid-range and, and in against those two teams. So you you see he can do it all over the floor. Is he going to do it, even even if not regularly, is he going to do it when we need it? And and that's what I want to see out of, out of, out of Cam. Yeah, so when we were talking about Cam last week, uh, we know what he is capable of. It's, to me, when does it happen? And I was actually a little bit encouraged uh, in the second half against Yale. While he didn't hit uh, a couple of the threes, they looked good coming off his hand. But there was one instance that I was really happy with. Uh, it was an N1 for him. He hit a, mm-hmm. a nice jumper right around the free throw line. He started getting a little bit chippy there, and he started chirping back. And, mm-hmm. and I liked that. I think that he starts playing with a little bit of an edge that you know Zion plays with, that you definitely know RJ plays with. Trey's right. consistently doing that the whole game. 
uh, then that brings brings that other element, and maybe that's what he needs to get him going. Um, but it's interesting, you know, who I kind of compare him with uh, as Duke is Brandon Ingram. You know, Brandon mm-hmm. Ingram started out, you know, relatively slow as well. They have similar body types in a way. Yep. Uh, they're both tall. They're both long. Uh, they're both very lean. But let me throw a few numbers out at you. Uh, through 10 games, they both are playing about the same amount of minutes. Uh, Brandon Ingram was averaging 27 minutes to Cam's 24. But that has more to do with the fact that, you know, Duke is, you know, has a little bit, uh, they've had a few more blowouts uh, right. in this 10-game stretch than, than that team did. But Cam's averaging 14 and a half a game. Brandon Ingram was averaging 14.9. Their three-point percentage is really right about the same in those first 10 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam's a little bit higher, 36.5%. Brandon Ingram was 35.8. So they're, they're very similar. We know what Brandon Ingram did. He hit that yep. Indiana game, and he was off and running. Uh-huh. So when does, when does Cam have that moment? Does he have that moment? Could that moment be against Texas Tech? in the garden when the lights are on. Uh, uh, it's probably going to be a top 10 matchup at this point. Uh-huh. You know, Texas Tech is number 11. They're undefeated. They're playing the ninth, but I expect them to win. So what, what do we see there? Do we see Cam have that breakout moment that, you know, he kind of he kind of flirted with it the first couple of games. Right. You know, he had that big game overshadowed against Kentucky. Um, you know, he came right back the second game and scored over 20 again. Mm-hmm. So we know he's capable of it. Could it just be a cold streak? Could this be a, a situation where he sees one or two go in and it's off to the races? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you might you might see Texas Tech would be a good one. Um, we'll talk about I don't want to get too much into them yet because we're going to bring them up in our last segment. But that, that is a good team that plays good defense. And that's one of those games I'm kind of talking about where, you know, in, in an Elite Eight type of situation, are you when, – when you're top two, when on the scouting report for the other team says Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett must be stopped for us to win this game so their guys go out and do everything they possibly can to stop those two, is Cam going to step up and be that guy for us to to come in and score 20? Because you need it. Because you need it against a team like that. So I, I would love to see it. Like I said, I put I put it down on Florida State that, that that's going to be his game. I think those meaningful games in the ACC especially are going to bring out it, – it's going to bring out – what we want out of Cam, or it's going to make him sink back into his shell even more. One of those two things is going to happen. No, I don't see any in between for him. There might be some games here or there where he's, he throws a stinker out there, but it's it's either going to be he's going to blossom after after December, or he's just going to be this guy in the shadows for the rest of the season. I, I don't know that it can be any other way for him, because only because you have two such dominant personalities and players with Zion and RJ. They're so dominant, and then you, and then behind him, you have such a good role player in Jack White. It's like you, there's no room to sit in the middle. You can't just sit in the middle because then you just become, you become one of the Alex O'Connells of the team. And Cam can't be that. He can't be that, especially with draft position and everything else on the line. He can't do that. Can this be a situation where I know coming into the season, Coach Pay talked a lot about how, how good of a ball handler he was, how good of a passer he was. Mm-hmm. Can this be a situation where? Perhaps Case starts drawing a, th- a few more plays off where maybe Cam's running the ball up more often uh, to try to get him facilitating more, to start getting him to play a little bit more of an assertive role than just kind of being that third guy that's standing. That's that's a really good point, actually. Um, yeah, that, that was something that was definitely brought up prior to the season and even in the preseason that Cam is this, this you know, this ball handler elite and, and really could be a point forward if you really wanted him to. 
And then you go see him throw up nine assists against uh, in, in our first exhibition. So you're like, okay, this is, this guy's got it. And, and then, but then the rest of the season, he's, he's averaging two assists a game and Trey's so ball dominant and such, such a good assist man and setup man that, yeah, you want him to do that. But I absolutely think you're right. I absolutely think that it's going to, to be at Cam's best interest for a K to start drawing some plays up where he's able to bring the ball up the floor. And if not bringing up the floor, he's the first one with the touch from, from Trey Jones or RJ to, to get the first look at a score off a quick hitter or off of, off of a one-on-one isolation. I think you're going to see more of those plays being drawn up for him. And I, we saw that in, in the blowout against Stetson, I believe, where uh, Cam was in the game with, with the reserves for pretty much the rest of that game at the end of the game. He, he, he was that. He was there at the, game, at the end of the game being the leader on the floor. And I, I think that was Kay's motivational tactic. He's used it before in the past, and he's using it again, obviously, with Cam to, hey, you get out there, you do it, you go to work, see what you can get. And it, it worked for a little while. He he looked better that game doing that than he did the entire rest of the game where Trey was throwing assists around and RJ was looking like a superstar. Yeah, and so he had that four-game stretch uh, starting with Auburn, uh, then playing Gonzaga, Indiana, and, and, and finally extension where he only had two assists. So, mm-hmm. you know, that can't happen. He he has to have a little more uh, where he's he's making plays for others because he, he, he can do that. The fear with him uh, has gotten to the point where when he does put his head down and start driving, he is careless with the ball, and he needs to, to, to clean that up. And I'm hoping that maybe if it doesn't happen this coming week, it'll happen with, you know, the longer break uh, over Christmas where, you know, they'll start kind of shoring that stuff up before before we kick things off uh, for the mm-hmm. ACC. But, you know, we do have a couple of games um, before Christmas that we want to touch on for our final topic of, of the podcast. Uh, we got Princeton to tune off on what is it, Tuesday, and then we go up yep. uh, to New York, uh, home morning from home, uh, and, and play a, a really strong Texas Tech team. I think we're both going to pick uh, Duke against Princeton. Give us a little bit of rundown on what to expect from Texas Tech, though. So Texas Tech, yeah, like you said, we won't we won't really touch too much on Princeton. It's that's a game we we should win, will win. Hopefully we look good doing it with with a ten day break. But the thing about Texas Tech is we only have two days after that, really one day after that Princeton game to prepare for this team. Obviously, K is going to devote some practice time to Texas Tech within these ten days. Clearly, that's something that you need to do because that's that's the bigger the, the bigger dog in the hunt here. But we we know that one thing you know about Texas Tech is they're going to bring the defense. They are an incredible defensive team. They they rank first in field goal percentage defense. They rank third in two point percentage defense and seventh in three point percentage defense. That's incredible for 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 this team to do that, especially losing as much as they did from last year's Elite Eight squad. And then they're second in points per game allowed at fifty two. And it's not because they play such a slow pace. They don't score well. They're not a great scoring team. They hit some shots from from the interior pretty well because they get out on runouts. But they are not they're not a, a good scoring team. And I think that's where Duke is going to be able to to make a little hay there. They don't turn the ball over a lot, but they do turn it over some, and you can you can get them to turn it over. But they, they don't assist on much. They play a lot of one-on-one basketball, and they rely on their athletes a lot, much like San Diego State. So they're, they're a better version of San Diego State, in my opinion. They have Jarrett Culver. He's their main scorer at 18 points a game. He gets some, some nice rebounds. They're not, a, they're not a good rebounding team either. Let's touch on that for a second, as Duke team is. So I, I think we can win this game. I think it's a nice matchup for Duke to play a good athletic team. One of those good athletic teams that kind of in the past would really show out against a Duke team kind of like Baylor um, did in that Elite Eight game that we ended up winning. 
uh, kind of like LSU, who beat that J.J. Reddick, Sheldon, Sheldon Williams squad in, in the Sweet 16 a few years back in 06. Some of those types of teams. This team is in that same exact mold. So we're, we're going to see some some athletes on that floor in Edison Square Garden. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, that's a good recap. I guess my question was going to be for for you, who do you see Kay throwing on uh, Jared Culver? Uh, you know, he's a 6'5 guard that pretty much does everything for them. He mm-hmm. averages over four assists a game, over six, six rebounds, over 18 points. Do you see uh, him dedicating RJ to him, Cam? Or do you see him, you know, trying to throw Trey on there and get under his skin? What do you... What do you see Kay doing defensively to try to disrupt uh, their their go-to guy? This this could be one of those games where we see them throw that little three-quarter court press that Kay likes to put on occasionally, and put and put a long athlete up top, especially somebody like Cam. This would be this would be a great opportunity to put Cam on a ball handler up top and kind of create some issues on the pass because we've seen that he can do it with his wingspan and and when he's active on defense, he disrupts a lot of passes. We've seen that in some earlier games, and I would love to see that against this team. I would, I would love to see a team that really doesn't have a true point guard, true ball handler. I'd love to see Kay throw that option out there early and, and kind of see how it works against this team. And, and I think it could work. I think it could work very well, actually. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree with you uh, on Cam. And, and people forget or don't even realize Cam is actually a- uh, averaging over two steals a game on the season. So mm-hmm. he, he's been great in deflecting, uh, getting into passing lanes, um, and being disruptive, and that might be one way to get him going. But um, we'll see what happens next week uh, up in the garden. So let's go ahead and make our picks for the week. Um, yeah. I'm going to go right out of the gate here uh, against Princeton, and I'm going to say that we start out a little sluggish, actually. We've done that the last couple first half at home, and uh, this might be one where you know, coming off a long break, coming off of exams, might be a little sluggish. You might see one of those uh, classic K, you know, slamming the chair down in the first half maybe throw in the jacket just to <laughs> try to get, get some emotion going, even though the, the game's never going to be in doubt. I'm going to go with 91 to 68 uh, in that one for, for Duke. All right. All right. Hmm. Princeton, they're not, a, they're not a good team. I think, I, I think from start to finish, we see them on the, on the, the accelerator. So I'm going to say Duke 101, Princeton 57. Wow. Uh, I will tell you that we were actually uh, both within four points of the actual combination score uh, last week when we played Yale. So kudos yeah. to uh, to the five-point play team. Uh, and then in, in, in the game of the week, and it's going to be the last uh, game for us of the year, against Texas Tech, it should be a better matchup, but I think that under the bright lights, we'll have a game under our belt. I think we come out guns and blazing in the garden, uh, a little Christmas present for, for all Duke fans. Uh, to remind them uh, who we are and what we're going to be going into 2019. I got Duke 94, Texas Tech 69. Ooh. Yeah, you heard it. Yeah, oh, that's man. right. Yeah. Oh, man. I think it's going to be a fun Duke. Oh, man. It's, you, you were exactly right about that. It's going to be a fun game. I think I think that's, I think with, with only two days in between and travel included in that, plus going into a neutral site like the, like the garden, tough place to shoot when you're first getting there. I, I think we're slow in the first half. I, I can only see us scoring in the 30s in the first half, especially against a defensive team like Texas Tech. So I'm going to say Duke. I'm going to say, I, I can't do it, man. I got to say Duke 82, Texas Tech 75. Wow. You're seeing a, a tight game. I, I see it completely different. I see this team wanting to uh, put a, a explanation point out there before the uh, before the break, and, and just remind everybody, you know, what what they're ready for in, in 2019. But uh, I hope everybody has a uh, 
uh, do a little break here until until we get back on the hardwood, and we'll be back uh, with the podcast after those two games next week, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Go Duke. Go Duke. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Five Point Play Podcast.